to reiterate, um, you know, a point that was made earlier, I think by Juan was, make sure you tell your story, be accessible, you know, get it out there. Like people need to know who you are and, and the path that you came. You know, like I, I use examples from, from my experience all the time because you know, I, I still look back and the fact that I was able to write a 150 page dissertation to me, like, <laughs> you know, I'll, ne I'll never do anything like that again. But, but <laughs> by gosh, you know, the fact that I was able to do that. Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Dr. Glenda Guzman. In today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by panel to discuss their experiences as first-generation professionals in student affairs and higher education. For this conversation, first-generation professionals are the first in their immediate family to enter the professional work environment. And this is in contrast to their parents who may have held traditional blue-collar work or jobs that didn't require a college education. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. You can find out more details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. And before we jump into conversation, I want to acknowledge that today's bonus episode is sponsored by Colorado State University Online. Go Rams. Um, they are now offering fully online Master's of Science degree in Student Affairs, and this program will help you gain professional competencies, knowledge, and experience to succeed as a higher education administrator. You'll earn the same Master's degree and learn from the same faculty as CSU's on-campus students. Learn more at online.colostate.edu. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Glenn DeGuzman, the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at the University of California, Berkeley. I use the he series as my pronouns. I'm hosting this conversation today from my home in Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the unceded territory of the Palin tribe of the Loni peoples. I'm excited because this is a two-part series on first-generation experience. Uh, this is a, a two-part series for first-generation experience. And this podcast is gonna focus in on the first-generation professional experiences. And I'm excited because um, this is a special episode. I'm reconnecting with folks I've known for a very long time. So let's meet our panelists. We have Daisy Rodriguez Patel, a consultant uh, from Change the World, Juan Guardia from the University of Cincinnati, and Ray Gasser from Michigan State University. Welcome. Um, let's get to know our panelists a little bit better. So I'm gonna have them introduce themselves and um, more fully, and it's gonna give you an opportunity to share maybe your current position and your, your connection to the topic on first generation uh, professionals. Uh, so let's start with Juan. Good, good afternoon, everyone. My name is uh, Dr. Juan Guadi. I serve as Assistant Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students at the University of Cincinnati, which is the traditional lands of our Shawnee and Miami tribes here in the Southwest Ohio region. Um, I myself am a first-generation college student, so I'm excited to be part of this podcast with my fellow first-gen peers. Um, I'm looking forward to the experience and the conversation. And thank you. Welcome. Oh, Let's go to and, I, and I utilize he, him, his. My apologies. No worries. No worries. Quant, great to have you on the panel. Uh, Daisy. 
Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name is Dr. Daisy Rodriguez Patel. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, my, both of my parents immigrated to the United States from the Philippines and my dad grew up in a family of seven siblings where they couldn't afford to send their children to college. And my mom did um, experience college in the Philippines and earned a nursing degree. And I consider myself a first generation student because even though my mom earned a degree in the Philippines, she had very little to no understanding of the higher education process in the United States. Um, it's really interesting since birth, I was told that I would go to college. And when I was in high school, my high school government teacher told me that I needed to find other options because I don't belong in college. And I think it's interesting um, when we are told that this is our path and someone else tries to discourage us from it. So I look forward to being here and sharing more of my, my narrative as a first gen professional. Thank you, Daisy. And I, and I just, I've known you for, I've known all of you for a long time. And, and actually, Daisy, your, your first generation Filipina American experience is something I really resonated and connected with with you when we first met. So I'm excited to have you on. Uh, Ray, welcome. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank you for having me, Glenn. My name is Ray Gasser. I um, use the he, him series uh, pronouns. I humbly serve as the executive director for Residence Education and Housing Services at Michigan State University. Um, I think one of the things that, that connects me to this topic is, is um, I, remember, I remember distinctly when I was leaving for college, um, my dad telling me, you know, I don't care what you do. I just need you to be in a desk, at a desk um, and not doing physical manual labor like I do. And so for me, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure my dad ever understood the career that I went into, but um, I'm at least living up to the idea that I'm working at a desk here in East Lansing today. Wow. Thank you, Ray, for sharing. That's a really cool way to start. And I want to stay with you and maybe we can kind of um, go deeper into uh, that story in, in particular. Um, uh, what does it mean to you to be a first generation professional if you could if you could share with our audience and what does that look like in particular for first generation professionals who are going into higher education or into a, a student affairs type of position yeah I, th I think um, you know first off i'm I'm incredibly proud of my accomplishments and um, you know the accomplishments of all first generation professionals um, because we kind of have to uh, map out our own uh, course to um, work through the challenges of, of going through higher education and not understanding. You know, I remember distinctly when, when I was uh, signing up for financial aid and I received financial aid package, I didn't know the difference between the types of aid. And, um, I, I accepted things not knowing what ones I had to pay back and what ones I didn't. Um, I remember when I started my master's program, not understanding what I was really actually signing up for. I just knew that I, I liked the work that I was doing, um, but I didn't really understand what, what student affairs was at the time. Um, it took me a few weeks into the program before I really understood, oh, wow, they. They actually have a profession. I just thought this was a, 
uh, uh, chance to go to work. Um, and, and then when I got into the, the, my uh, career professionally, it, it's really kind of finding that trust in yourself and finding good mentors to really um, help, you, help you navigate some of the pitfalls that I think, um, whether you're first generation or not, that you're bound to make so that, that um, you can be successful and, and continue to progress as a professional. Um, when, when I really had no one at home that, that, that kind of gave me that type of guidance, so. Wow, I remember thinking that's, that's residential life was student affairs. I didn't know there was a bigger thing, you know, and, it, and, and I just didn't know. And really didn't know for a long time until I started started talking to other folks. Daisy, Juan, any thoughts, reflections on that? Yeah, actually, as I listened to Ray, one of the words for me that comes comes to mind being a first gen student and a first generation professional is being a pioneer and being the first. And so with me, um, that comes with that comes a lot of responsibility. And so. Um, I grew up again in a Filipino household. My, my father was very strict and um, my mom was less strict. Um, so for me, when I started off at college, I attended San Francisco State University. It was very exciting and exhilarating. And I felt like this was my opportunity to experience some level of freedom and independence and to make decisions. And so I was a really highly motivated student. Um, but with that said, I wasn't aware of any of the support services. I didn't understand. Um, I completely can hear what Ray is saying. I didn't understand financial aid. Um, and my father was stationed in Yokosuka, Japan. And so my closest family member was my older sister, Mylene, who went to UC Berkeley. Um, so for me, I lived in the residence halls for my entire four-year undergraduate experience. And residence life was student affairs. And that is where I considered like my home and where I transformed and where I discovered what it means to be a leader and where I discovered to have a voice. Um, I, I think it's really interesting when you are a first generation student, um, you have to be resilient because there's so much that you need to learn and figure out on your own. And then when you come across those mentors, that's when you really begin to learn that it's okay to ask for help. Um, it's not a sign of failure. It's not a sign of weakness. It's really a sign of strength um, to recognize that there are folks out there who um, will support you. And there are two people for me that come to mind. And um, one is Dan McCabin and Damon Bell. And they both were residence life um, professionals who really encouraged me um, and validated who I was and, and helped me to see my own value. So I'm, I'm really grateful for, for those folks. And I also think about the peer mentors and the resident assistants that also um, provided me support and guidance. Um, and validation, I mean, for me, that that is really huge, um, especially when you're feeling alone and isolated, to be around folks who, who see you and don't try to necessarily change you, but help you to find your path. Um, so that's a, a little bit of what came to mind for me as I was listening to Ray. Uh, I would definitely resonate with what both uh, Ray and Daisy have been sharing with regards to being that first. So uh, from my familial background, my parents came from Cuba um, in the 1960s. 
and they made a family for themselves um, in South Florida, Miami, in particular, where my brother and I were born. Um, we, I was the first, I, I've been the first in that essence. Um, and when, even when I was applying to colleges, they could, my parents had no college knowledge whatsoever. And so I went to the local community college. I went to uh, Miami-Dade Community College. It's now known as Miami-Dade College. Um, you know, Ray mentioned talking about applying for financial aid. I remember uh, just applying and having my parents, my parents could not understand the paperwork and I'd say, just sign here if it's free money. And my mom was like, okay, I'll sign it because that'll be an opportunity for you to go to school, right? Um, in hindsight, that was probably the best experience I could have had to be at a large uh, two-year institution. I didn't even know it was a Hispanic service institution because everybody in Miami-Dade looked Latino like everyone else in South Florida and Miami, right? Mm -hmm. But a majority of us were first gens. And so we were in the midst of all trying to figure out what this college experience looked like. And finishing up my AA and then not telling my parents that I applied to go to Florida State, which is about seven and a half hours north, um, my parent, my dad was, my dad was very cool. Like, okay, you know, this is my son. He can go away. My mother bawled and cried. And, um, you know, why do you need to go away so far? Why can't you just go to FIU down the road? It's, you know, only about 25 minutes away. Um, but I went there because it's where my major was at. It was the only college in the state that offered my major. Um, knowing that I was the first in that, in that, um, did have, I had to become resilient. I had no other choice. Um, and really get to know and find other communities on both campuses, both when I was at Dade and also at Florida State when I transferred. Um, I would say that those experiences also have really shaped who I am as a student affairs professional. Um, on the campuses that I've worked at, the students that I've had the opportunity to engage and work with, whether it be advising and or uh, providing resources, support services and things to that effect. Um, it's made me a better professional because that young Juan from back in the day from Homestead, Florida, would have never have imagined ever leaving Miami-Dade County. Um, 22 years later, I've lived in six states, been at five different institutions, and it really was because uh, Dade opened that door for me as a first gen. And so I always continue to tell my students, I love that you're here, go out of state after this, go to grad school somewhere else outside of your home state um, and look at it from a lens of a very different experience. Oh my goodness, I am so resonating with your stories as well. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear more about um, your experiences, for, and this is for all on the panel, but if we can, I, I'm curious to hear about the challenges and the obstacles that um, you may have experienced as a first generation student that carried over to when you became a professional, or is it something completely different? Like the difference between being a first gen student and then becoming a first gen professional? Uh, Daisy, would you want to kick us off on this one? Sure. And I, you know, as, as I think about that, Glenn, I think naively, I believed as an undergraduate that I could do anything. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because when I started off in my first higher ed position, I didn't feel that way at all. I actually lacked confidence. And I, I think about my first experience, um, I worked for Weber State University. Um, I was offered a position to be the coordinator of a brand new diversity center. And I thought I am already starting off with my dream job after my master's degree. I earned my master's degree at NYU and 
Um, a lot of folks thought, why are you moving to Utah? Like you went to San Francisco State, then NYU. And I thought, well, if I move to Utah and I do well there, then I could work anywhere, right? So I wanted to challenge myself to be in a different climate, a different environment. Um, and when I was offered this job to, to run the inaugural um, diversity center, before my position started, the Dean of Students called me and said, Daisy, we have a fantastic candidate and the only job he'll accept is a job we offered you. And they said, we have another exciting opportunity for you. You could be the coordinator of student programs. And you know, he talked to me about all of the different roles and responsibilities and how exciting it would be. Um, and I didn't wanna accept that job because I wanted to be the first inaugural lead for this diversity center. But this Dean of Students convinced me that I really needed to give this opportunity to this other person because this other person was gonna add to the student affairs team and, and I needed to do that. And, um, and in hindsight, I wish I didn't, but that's one of the lessons that I learned is you can stand up to someone who's in a higher level than you and say no, right? I mean, I was offered the position and, um, and I think about now how throughout my career, I have learned to be a better advocate for myself and a better advocate for others, and especially folks who may not be as brave um, and may not see their worth. Um, so it's really interesting, Glenn, because I was like, I was a force in undergrad. I, I, I think having taken ethnic studies classes and Filipino American studies classes, I really grew to be just a very strong leader. I think I, I'm really grateful for the amount of support that I had around me at San Francisco State. I think about you know, the residence hall staff and the RAs that I worked with and the different student organizations that I was a part of. Um, it was an environment that really instilled your value. And it's interesting that after going through my master's program and then starting off in student affairs, that I just felt so weak and so vulnerable and I didn't have that same structure of support. Wow, what a very powerful um, experience that you had to go through. I mean, I, uh, it, it's interesting to, to hear that and, and how that's, you know, I can almost connect to that, how I felt like I was so active, I felt so confident. And then when, when I took on my first position, I remember also experiencing experiences interacting with people who it, it almost like broke my confidence to some extent right it's really powerful um Quan Ray anyone want to add I, I'll add one piece to to Daisy's um uh, sharing that is is just this the one sense that I've I've grown and and I continue to to talk to my team about this even today is, is um, the sense of humility that, that first-generation professionals and, and college students have to have. Um, they go into the work um, having this sense of self-doubt. And, and yet, um, you know, I also think that there's so much to learn from going into the work in a humble sort of way where you acknowledge that you don't necessarily have all the answers. And I actually think that that sometimes puts us in a, a better position to um, 
engage a team, engage uh, colleagues from across campus to be able to, to uh, approach the work from a humble uh, sense, because, because that's really when um, the best outcomes come out of uh, a process or, or um, you know, whatever we're trying to do. Be, because you don't, you're not coming into it saying, I have an agenda, this is what I want to accomplish. You acknowledge that, that um, the team's probably going to come up with the best answer. And so I, I just, when I, when I heard Daisy sharing that, I, that, that was the thing that was resonating for me was the tremendous amount of humility that, that Daisy had to, to, to say that. And I also agree at the same time that, you know, sometimes you have to push back and, and, and stand up for, um, you know, something that you value, something that you believe in. That's why you, you were invited to, uh, to that position to begin with. So thanks for sharing, Daisy. Thank you. I'll add that for me, it was leading into um, my graduate program. So after undergrad, I took a few years off um, and then decided to go back to grad school and higher ed. Um, and it really was because of one of my mentors at Miami Dade College that told me you were uber involved at Dade and at Florida State. Why don't you do a career in student affairs work? Um, and I was one of those that did not know that it existed as a career. So <laughs> she really opened up my eyes for that. Um, going back and I ended up going back to my alma mater at Florida State because they have a really phenomenal grad program so why not right um, but it was a really good experience um, what prepared me for that was in the midst of that I had already applied a few years before that for another different graduate program totally not in higher ed and when I was rejected from that graduate program that graduate advisor told me that I was not graduate school material and so hearing that post um post completing your undergraduate degree, it, it shook me to my core. And I was super nervous in, you know, applying for my graduate program and so forth. Um, and I, and truth be told, I bombed the GRE. The GRE is the worst. I took it three <laughs> times. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I'm just not a good test taker. I feel uh, you. <laughs> yeah, it, right, exactly. And so I'm here applying to the FSU grad program. I'm like, y'all, if they're going to look at my scores, it's a done deal. Um, luckily they were holistic and looking at the package and so forth. So I, I always appreciate them for that. Um, but in the midst of that experience, there were times in my graduate program. And even when I finished up my master's that, that imposter syndrome always would sit in my cohort, my uh, master's cohort was small. We were only 14. Interestingly enough, it was divided seven men, seven women. I don't think it was set up that way. It's just how the cards fell. I was only one of two Latinos in that program and the two of us were from Miami. And so we would rely on each other. And, you know, she did not go to FSU as an undergrad. So I would let her know what, you know, Tallahassee's experience were around and so forth. But we would talk about it all the time. You know, what's it like to be at this large PWI and should I be in this master's program? You know, I'm glad we were selected, but you know, that always would creep in. And even after graduating, um, as I'm thinking back to my family, you know, my mom, my, my dad worked a variety of jobs when I was young. The last job he had all the way up to his retirement, he was a delivery driver for a factory in South Florida. My mom was a um, full-time homemaker. And then um, usually when we were in school and on the weekends, um, she was a housekeeper. She would clean folks' houses, whether it be friends' houses or maybe some offices, taking me and my brother along sometimes. And applying for those positions post uh, masters, 
I didn't know how to negotiate salary. My parents couldn't explain to me how to negotiate salary. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that looked like. And that first job out of my master's was in Northern Virginia at George Mason University. Um, and I was the only time in my career I've never negotiated because he offered and I was like, well, I got to take this job and I took it. And in hindsight, I'm thinking, this is crazy. $35,000 in Northern Virginia right outside of DC is not cutting. It's not paying the <laughs> bills, y'all. Um, but that was also um, the resilient, brave first step. I had never left Florida and I was 28 taking this job for the first time. And I'll never forget uh, driving across the state line and bawling because oh. everybody I knew was in Florida. And I'm like, why am I leaving Florida to take some job in Virginia? Um, but it was the best thing I could have done because it opened up my eyes to a whole different world, not only, the, uh, not only within the field, but also the different parts of the country that I would live in eventually and so forth. Um, I will add one additional thing with regards to uh, what both uh, Ray and Daisy talked about humility. When I was first offered, um, later on down the road, when I was offered an AVP position, um, that, that was the first time ever that I was offered a six-figure salary. And when I was offered it, I remember hanging up and I felt very guilty. Um, I started tearing up because I felt guilty that I was making more money than my parents had ever made in their life. And as a first gen to think about it from that lens, I remember calling my mom, my parents divorced later on. I called my mom and I called my dad separately. And I said to them, and they were over the moon, but that guilt knowing that they had they they had worked so hard and that's what they told me like you've worked so hard to get to where you're at you deserve this really just struck a chord because the way I would see my father come home from work the way I would see my mom come home from cleaning houses and so forth um yes I was proud of that moment but it hit me really quick at my core because um affectionately mommy and papi had worked so hard and I knew it was more than what they had ever made in their lifetime Thank you, Juan. Yeah, each, I'm just hearing all your stories and each of you have had to overcome, you know, various challenges and there's a lot of similarities too, right? Um, that, that have accompanied your experience to reach outstanding, your outstanding accomplishments. All of you, you know, all of you have reached, uh, have all attained your doctorates and, um, and these challenges that I heard, what I, what I heard were gatekeepers in your experience. I <laughs> standardized tests, Oh my goodness, I, I understand that feelings of isolation, um, the guilt of just moving away from family and, and just and wanting to be near to support and just the mental, mental gymnastics that must be going on into the psyche of what it means to be a first generation um, person um, and, and going into a professional career. I'm curious um, if you think about today's, um, and or I, I guess you can call it the next next generation of first generation professionals, right? Um, what do you think they're experiencing now? Is it similar or different than from what maybe we've gone through as they, as they enter the workforce? Glenn, can I add something before we go on to that question? Because yeah. it's really important what Juan brought up about the GRE because standardized tests are not a barrier. And, and I want to say that again, standardized tests are not a barrier. I um, also felt like an imposter because I had to take the GRE twice and I was conditionally admitted into my master's program and I had to earn a 3.5 GPA or higher and I did. And, And I think about when I applied for my doctorate and looked at different programs, 
you know, I had to take the GRE again and I didn't do well. I've never done well. On the SAT, I did horribly. Um, and I try to share with students to not let that be a psychological barrier because you can still be successful. You can earn um, an advanced degree. And I, I think about when I was conditionally admitted into Indiana University, I knew I would earn a 3.5 GPA or higher in my first semester. And so um, it's really interesting, like the self-talk you have to have with yourself and put aside whatever messages you might be hearing about how you cannot do X, Y, and Z, and you cannot earn a, a degree because you can't take standardized tests well. I mean, um, and it's interesting because my son is in eighth grade and he has he's starting to take standardized tests and he doesn't do well. And he's like, mom, I'm not gonna be able to go to college. And I tell him, son, your mother earned three degrees. I never did well in any of those tests. I'm like, you can, and you have to believe in yourself. And so thank you Juan for sharing that because it's such a misconception. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. My daughter's taking her PSATs tomorrow. And um, it's really interesting because this is gonna be the first time she's ever taken a standardized test. And with, with COVID last year, everything got canceled. So it's sort of like, okay, this would be really interesting to see how she experiences that. But let's let's keep going on along those lines. I mean, it, I think you bring up a really interesting point there, Daisy, about self-talk. Um, what is the self-talk that's occurring in uh, the first generation professors who are about to enter the, the workforce? Is it similar to, is it the same thing? Is it different? You know, I, I sometimes wonder if when we think about the first generation professionals who are entering student affairs, I, I you know, when I, when I speak to new professionals and, and I'm able to identify that they have a first generation background, I sometimes want to just, just, just meet with them and talk to them just and talk about the things that they're, they're going through. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic trying to provide space, but at the same time trying to just wanting to be helpful um, but I, I'm always curious to know, like, what are the, the, the experiences that they're going through and if it was similar to mine. And I find connection with this group because I, I think we're, we, we all entered similar time frame, but I'm wondering about today's generation. I know I've had conversations with first-gen professionals, um, and I always tell them, you're offered this position. Great. This is exactly what you want to do. It's in a brand new institution. It's in a brand new city. Uh, but you can't let your job be your life. Like, I want you to understand that there's, I want you to have a really great experience outside of work. Um, and for a lot of first-gen professionals, it could be, you know, how do I survive at this new institution? How do I make uh, new relationships and connections outside of work where I can make other friend networks and so forth? Because um, it can get really isolating. You, you could come to work all day and enjoy what you're doing, but when you clock off, there's no one for you to connect with, it can get to become a really isolated experience. And so really making and finding ways to connect them with either other first-gen professionals um, and or mentors across the division or across campus, um, to me, is it's a really fruitful opportunity for them to engage and get to know some other folks um, that have, may have gone through similar experiences. You know what, Glenn? I I, I think about the differences between first-gen professionals now and first-gen professionals for us like 25 years ago, right? I 
I had a young man who graduated from Brown for undergrad and is currently at Columbia um, working on his student affairs degree. And he reached out to me through LinkedIn and he said, I, I need connection. And he really liked my background because he's interested in international education and study abroad programs. Um, and so he and I have been communicating with each other throughout this pandemic. Um, and I wonder how many other folks similar to, to this young man are reaching out to people virtually, right? Because they, they have that opportunity um, to really be resourceful and to establish connections with people across the United States. And, and I think about how luxurious that could be because we didn't have that, right? Like we connected with people in our own sphere, um, which I am grateful because I'm very grateful for the Standing Committee for Multicultural Affairs through ACPA because that's where I feel like I was able to create a community. And I, I think about Glenn and how we did this Filipino dance to Ninkling at an ACPA culture fest. And, and I remember like staying up late at night and writing rhymes with Glenn and other folks within the Asian Pacific American network. Um, and there is just beauty in that. And I feel like that foundation has kept us all connected. So regardless of the 10, 15, 20, 25 years that have passed, when we see each other, it's like this intrinsic connection um, that just, it's just this electrifying force. And so uh, I, I hope that this new generation of professionals experience that. Thank you, David. So one thing that, um... Your question, Glenn, made me think of is is um, when I when I first started as as a professional, and I and I I don't know whether or not this is what today's um, generation is experiencing. I I think in some of my conversations with some of my team members, um, it sounds similar, but I I don't know for sure whether or not this is what resonates with them. It's it's. Um, you come out of your master's program, and, and I think you have this sense of idealism, um, particularly as a first-generation uh, student. You have this, I want to change the world. I want to make sure that every first-generation student or every, every student of color is able to get to where I am. And, um, and then you kind of get slapped in the face. I, I did. My first position um, I went to, and I was so frustrated with it. Um, and I see this sometimes with our professionals today. Um, they get so frustrated. And one of the things that um, a few years ago, I, I got to be on faculty with the National Housing Training Institute. And I was talking to one of the other faculty members, and we were reflecting back on our first um, professional positions, which happened to be at the same school um, we just were there at slightly different times in the 90s. And um, we both said, you know, we found it so frustrating. We found the director so frustrating. Didn't know why she made the decisions that she made. Like they were always wrong. But then we agreed that today in the positions that we're in, we would have made those same decisions. The only problem was that she just never explained why. And I think that's something really important um, with, our, with our younger professionals is, is to make sure that they understand the why, uh, the why we have to do things that we do, even though it may not 
resonate with where our values are. It may be just where that institution is at that time. It may be, you know, other uh, political forces that that play a part in that. Um, and yet, still trying to push the barriers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I see that something as a, you know, maybe a, a constant between um, our generation and today's generation of first gens. Great point, great point. Thank you, Ray, for adding that. I have seen so much um, um, since my time to help um, that a lot of resources to help first generation students thrive on college campuses. And I'm not sure if campuses do much or at least explicitly do as much to support first generation professionals. You know, I, I think that since my time, you know, going, going back in the day, I've seen some wonderful resources pop up through NASP, ACPA that support the first generation student, like the first generation forward. I've seen a lot of social media, a lot of different wonderful resources, which, man, I wish they were around when I was younger. <clears throat> but I'm curious to know what campuses can do institutionally uh, to support first-generation professionals? And I'm going to direct this question to Juan. That's a great question, because you're right. We do have a variety of programs and services aimed at our students. I mean, here at UC, we have a Gen 1 living learning community that's all first-gen students. They absolutely love it. Um, it gives them an opportunity to be connected with their fellow first-gens, to have um, additional advising, to have additional tutoring, and just additional programs and services that we probably did not have as Gen 1 students ourselves, right? So that's great. But for our pros and our pro staff, it's, okay, well, here's who we are in the division. You may or may not be first gen. Um, and most folks don't out really say, hey, my name is Juan. I'm a Gen 1, plus I'm this, this, and this. You know, there could be a variety of identities that we could all spiel at one time. Um, but until we start getting to know those individuals and then we get to know a little bit more about their backgrounds and they do share that information, I think it's up to us as those, those of us that work on campus as senior level administrators and so forth to make those connections for them, but also offering maybe a Gen 1 mentoring group for those first um, for those pro staff and so forth. Um, it should be something that a majority of our divisions should have because a lot of us have either gone through those similar experiences and so forth. Um, but would I like to see more of that? Absolutely. I, I don't, I feel like I don't see enough of that. Um, either, you know, we don't currently have it in our division right now or in other divisions that I've either been a part of and so forth. Ray, Daisy, did you want to add? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll add a, a couple things. Um, you know, one of my doctoral research was around student retention. And, and so understanding the differences and the factors that impact whether or not a student uh, ultimately graduates um, has always been something interesting to me. And, and one of the things that has always stuck with me was a, a reading in my doctoral program from Bordeaux around uh, cultural capital. And that's really what we're talking about in, in entirely in terms of the gatekeepers, all the things that, that prevent social classes from being able to achieve this, um, the thing that uh, we're all looking to do, um, which is, is graduate and, and be successful in our careers. Um, to me, the question really becomes, and, and for all of us, um, what are we doing on our campuses to, to create those spaces 
to really push. So Juan's right. It's 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 one sharing your story, getting that out there so that other people know that that there are professionals on the campus that that have achieved it, so that they have someone to look to as a role model. Two, it's it's what type of programs exist on your campus that actually help to break down those barriers um, that exist when it, when it comes to cultural capital. And, and three, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that, um, you know, my experience, I, th I think we have all similar experiences, but, but you know, I, had, I have the privilege of being a, a, a cisgendered white male um, going through this as a first generation. And I know that there, there were probably doors that were open that may not have been there for Daisy and Juan. And so I just, I, you know, I want to acknowledge that. I, I don't want someone to sit, leave going, well, you know, Ray and Daisy and Juan all had the same experience. We, we've had probably some similar experiences, but we probably have also had some different barriers along the way too. Yeah, thank you for saying that, Ray. You know, I, I think about when I was applying to doctoral programs, um, the vice president of student affairs at my current institution that I was at when I was applying said, oh, I don't think you should apply to Indiana University. That's very competitive. Um, you really need to look at other options. And I, and I think about as Juan also shared that someone told him like, oh, you're not quality material for that. Um, how dare you say that to someone, right? Like, how dare you? You don't know me. Um, this VP, VPSA just walked onto the campus, was brand new. I maybe had worked with him for three months. Um, and yes, I went to IU, you know, and I think about how um, we, we need to do a better job just as, as colleagues, as supervisors, getting to know our staff and really being identity conscious um, and learning more about the people who work with us. And I think back at one of the Student Affairs Now podcast was on identity conscious supervision. And it really struck me because I, I think about how fortunate I've been throughout my Student Affairs career. And I've worked at five different universities and one community college and all but one really knew me all but one really cared about my professional development and growth and wanted me to be successful. And I, I think about the one person who didn't, um, I can't speak for why she didn't encourage me, um, but for whatever reason, she didn't believe that I was capable of excelling in this field. For whatever reason, I, I, I'm not sure what biases she had of me or maybe of Filipinos or maybe of Asian women. Um, so I just think like, whoever is listening to this podcast and if you're a supervisor please get to know your staff and help empower them and help validate them and learn about what they want to accomplish and and see their potential um, because we really need to be better at encouraging one another to be our best let's build off that for supervisors how can they tangibly support first generation professionals So I'll jump in with what Daisy just shared. So as I'm working with some of our, our first-gen professionals here, one of the things that um, I'm cognizant about is that if you know they've been here maybe a year to maybe even three years, if I see a really good opportunity that I think is right up their alley, I'll let them know. And I remember one individual telling me, well, are you trying to kick me out? Or do you want me to go, you don't <laughs> want me here anymore? And I'm like, no, I'm also not going to hold you back 
from something that I think is really right up your alley and maybe worth um, your time and your experiences and your energy. And so I'm never trying to push anyone out, but if it's something that I know would be a really good fit for them and may I'll possibly open additional doors based on experiences, maybe even an advanced terminal degree uh, via tuition remission and so forth, I'm going to let you know. And I, and I will say that in a genuine way of, hey, I think you're great. And I think what you've done here has been phenomenal. But I also don't want to hold you back from future opportunities because um, who would I be to do that to someone when I've had those opportunities presented to me? And so it's mm -hmm. almost just like continuing that tradition of making sure that I can assist other first-gen professionals uh, to continually move forward. Thanks, Juan. Ray, Daisy, thoughts? I would... I would I would reiterate um, you know a point that was made earlier I think by Juan was make sure you tell your story be accessible you know get it out there like people need to know who you are and and the path that you came you know like I I use examples from from my experience all the time because you know I I still look back and the fact that I was able to write a 150 page dissertation to me like. <laughs> You know, I'll, ne I'll never do anything like that again, but, but <laughs> by gosh, you know, the fact that I was able to do that, I, I'm like, if I can do that, and, and I don't think I'm a great writer, um, you know, I, ha I had a tremendous amount of help on, on editing and making sure that I was, I was clear from others um, who helped me along the way, who know who they are, um, you know, if, if I didn't have those supports and, and, and pieces in play, I, you know, I don't know if, I, but it's, it's having that confidence in yourself and knowing that there are others around that are there to help you. To me, that, that's, you know, I, I, I hope people really hear that um, because I, I think all three of us are, are really saying, you just have to find that community, that network and and tap into it because they're they're kind of your lifeline exactly and and you have to believe in yourself right i i for me a term that has stayed with me from college throughout my career is resilience that you may get being down but you got to get back up right you have to get back up you have to keep moving forward and pressing forward um so yes <laughs> you know i'm gonna break mold for a second and just kind of like add uh, my two cents. I love what you said, Ray, about telling stories. I think sometimes my way of connecting with um, uh, folks who may have gone through the experience that I've gone through is just to tell authentically my struggles. I hold this position, right? I hold this, this, this title and the more I share about, and I love the early example, negotiating salary. When the job offer was given to me, I think it was like a record, like, you're offered the job. Yes, I accept. It was literally like one second. I it was I did not yeah. even know <laughs> how. But I think it's just by sharing the struggles and the things that I went through. Yeah. I, I mean, I, just sharing them. It, people come back, come back, and they ask. So, can you tell me more about that? And then it leads to these these beautiful informal conversations. And sometimes it just it's it's just demonstrating vulnerability and humility in, in ways I think resonate with um, uh, first, the first gen pop. So um, let's go uh, on that line around this, you know, we're talking about mentoring a little bit here, like mentoring the next uh, generation of folks. 
all of you have impacted the lives of so many people. And when you look at today's student affairs professionals who identify as first generation professionals, what do you want to tell them? I'll, I'll start. Um, I want to let them know that you may not see it, but it's there. And I say that because I, I think about when I started my doctoral program at IU, I was really grateful to be surrounded by supportive faculty. And my dissertation chair was Dr. Mary Howard Hamilton. And in every class that I did, almost every paper focused on Asian Pacific Islanders or Filipino American students. And I, I reflect back and just think about how grateful I am that I was able to learn more about my community in the United States and to think about what is still missing and what needs, you know, how can I contribute to the field and how can I broaden the voice and consciousness about Asian Pacific Islander, Desi American students. And, you know, when I started off in my master's program, I didn't have that same level of consciousness because um, I wasn't aware of how I could be a contributor. Um, and so I want first gen professionals to know that your voice is important and your voice matters and you are a role model and you are a leader, whether you see it now or not, you are. I, I wanna build off of what Daisy said and, and something just occurred to me that um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about in terms of the difference between a first generation um, student and, and um, everyone else, honestly. And that is, that is, and what we see today particularly is the influence of parents. Um, a first generation student, I, I don't know if I've ever had a first generation student's parents call me. Mm. I've had a lot of, of parents that, that have um, bachelor's, master's, law degrees, whatever, and they'll tell me about all that. <laughs> Call me and, and resonate that this is, this is what this is about. What I think is tremendously powerful about that is, is that so many of these first-generation college students are able to endure and, and thrive in an environment where, where they're making themselves heard rather than having someone else speak up for them. And, and to me, you know, that sense of humility, that sense of resilience, um, that, that, that I, I think better equipped sometimes people to, to then um, enter into the workforce because they have that sense of confidence. The piece that I would, I would express to um, each of you is, is make sure that you find your voice and, and mm -hmm. don't let the system um, push you down because you may not understand what the financial aid documentation indicates or, or, or um, what the process for withdrawal from a class is, but there's someone that does and you just have to find that person on your campus. Um, they're there to help you, and and I think once you once you find that network, you're probably going to be better equipped than than most of the students in terms of 
really preparing you for, for post-education. I'll chime in and I think it's exactly what Ray just shared. It is finding that group, it's finding those mentors, it's finding that network. Um, one of the things that I always tell folks is be accessible and reach out to individuals um, and don't be shy. You know, I, I've heard from some first-gen professionals that for a lot of them when they're in the field or when they go to conferences, they get really shy when they see people because of their names or whatnot. And I'm like, no, let me keep it real. I was you. So whatever you need, here's my business card. I am more than happy to engage in, in, in any conversations that you may need. I can serve as a connector for you in your area. And if I don't, I can find someone else that may or may not be in that specific area to assist you and whatnot. And I think that's an important part is A, be accessible. B, don't be afraid to reach out to those individuals. And uh, C, the mantra that I've always been told by my community back home and in their exact words is, bro, you got it. Like you can find a way, if you can find a way to connect with individuals, we can find a way to make sure that it'll happen for you. And so um, I really appreciate what my peers have shared. You know, Daisy, you, you, you made a really good point when you talked about your uh, doctoral chair. Um, mine was uh, Dr. Nancy Evans at Iowa State. Um, and I remember every time that I will connect with her and a majority of my papers were on Latinx, Latino, Latina students and ethnic identity as I was focusing my dissertation around that. And she never once said, okay, you've done enough of this, you know, just keep doing it and get, you know, find additional data and so forth. So much, so much so that when I would turn in papers for courses that I did have her in, she would tell me, she would hold me to the side and say, Juan, were you thinking in Spanish when you wrote this? <laughs> and I was like, I could have been. And she's like, I can tell because your language changes in the midst of the paper. She's like, but I also know that that's your first language. And I, and she acknowledged that. And because she acknowledged and respected that, I, it, I forever hold her for, you know, being such a great doctoral advisor, but acknowledging that and validating that experience for me spoke volumes to me. Um, again, as a first gen going through the, through my doc program. Amazing. Wow. So, um, this is going to be our final question. It's a wrap up question. And it's a, it's a standard question that we ask all folks, but this podcast is called student affairs now. Um, if you could take a minute or two to just summarize your final thoughts, whether it's something you heard during this wonderful conversation from your peers, or it's just uh, uh, you want to expand on a certain uh, theme that has emerged, um, what are you pondering about or what are you still thinking about um, this topic? And I'm going to ask Ray to start the wrap up. Well, I, first off, I want to thank you, Glenn, for hosting this, and, and thank you to um, Daisy and Juan for sharing your stories. Um, I, I'm, I'm honestly energized to, uh, <laughs> to look at what we're doing in our department and how we're, we're, uh, we kind of, you know, connect this to actual work that we do. Um, I'm also thinking just Am I sharing my story enough with, with uh, colleagues? Um, I, I think the other thing that I, I, just, I guess I would want to reiterate is, is that I think there's a tremendous sense of um, humility um, being a first generation um, student and professional. And I think that is, is our superpower, honestly. Um, and so I would encourage people to approach that as, as, as the piece that, that will make us um, 
you know, the, the change makers on each of our campuses and in higher education as a whole. Thank you, Ray. Juan. I think what I would add is be a proud of every accomplishment that you're able to achieve. Um, whether it be, you know, a program or a project or a certificate or an advanced degree or uh, getting on a national committee for a national association and so forth. Um, I love the humility part that Ray talked about and still be humble, but brag about it because that is a good thing. And you should be as a first-gen student, you know, putting yourself out there and saying, hey, I did this because those are opportunities that were presented to you. Um, and, you know, as folks think about it, not only are they looking at it from being a, um, the humble lens, but also looking at it from a privileged lens. Like, I was given this opportunity. Now, what can I do with this opportunity to assist other individuals? Uh, looking at it from that mentality um, and that lens as well. And then finally, know that other folks are always looking at you through your accomplishments as a first-gen professional, uh, whether it be your pro staff, it might be your immediate family. The, you know, For me personally, the person that comes to my mind was my niece. Um, she was finishing up high school. She went to the same two-year college that I went to in South Florida, Miami. Um, and then she transferred and she went to FIU. And as of to now, we're the only two in, my, in our immediate family that did earn undergraduate degrees. Um, and we talk about that all the time. And what does that look like? Because we would love to see more mem family members do that. But she would tell me, you know, Theo, it was because I, I saw you, you know, not living in this area because you were working at other area parts of the country because of the opportunities you were given as a first gen and so know that someone's always looking at you, whether it be familial or outside or within the field, um, because they're looking at you for your accomplishments, because that's something that they would like to aspire to as well. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you so much. I love what Ray and Juan shared. And the, the one piece that I'll just add is that we are pioneers being first-gen professionals and first-gen students. And um, I was my the first in my family to earn a PhD, and my sister is a high school principal in LA Unified, and she started her doctorate um, at USC. And I think about when she was on a panel and she invited me to be in the audience, she gave me a shout out and said, "I'm going to be like my sister who earned a doctorate." And I and for me that just really warms my heart because it doesn't matter how old my sister is and what she's already accomplished in her career. But now she believes she can also earn a doctorate. And so um, so thank you so much. I really enjoyed this panel and I really enjoyed being a part of this conversation. Um, thank you, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, I'm inspired by all of you. And I wanna just thank you um, for being here. So um, wrapping up, um, uh, Dr. Juan Garcia uh, Guardia, Dr. Daisy Rodriguez Patel and Dr. Ray Gasser, thank you all first-generation students and professionals, and thank you for being guests. Um, I do wanna thank Nat Ambrosi, who's gonna have the honor of listening to this podcast beforehand and getting it all prepared, transcribed, and, and ready for airing. Um, to our audience and listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're listening today, not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Uh, just scroll to the bottom of the page and add your email to our MailChimp list. Um, and while you're there, please check out our archives. Um, again, my name is Dr. Glendy Guzman. Thanks for spending time with us today. Um, whether you're listening or watching, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And wherever you are, go out and have a good day. Bye, everybody. <laughs>